Well, hello, everyone. We are ready for Acts chapter 19. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity again. I always say that, but every time we have a chance to open our Bibles, that we are thrilled that we are given this freedom. And so we are grateful to be in living in our country that that does not stop us from going into God's word, the very truth that we need to hear. So again, we don't want to take this for granted. We do know it's an opportunity and we don't want to waste it. So help us as we go into this chapter, make it come alive. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. And this is my Bible, and I do believe it's God's word, and I do believe every word is true, and it is all that I need. And I am convinced, and I pray you are too. You know, Paul has been on quite the journey, and, and last week we saw how he was in Corinth, and, and, and I was really quite surprised as I've been kind of searching, when did Paul write his letters? And do you, do you realize that Paul wrote the book of Romans and First and Second Thessalonians from Corinth. Um, he also wrote First and Second Corinthians to the people of Corinth when he was in Ephesus. So he was when he was visiting these churches. Then he was also writing to the other ones because he was so concerned that they were staying on track, that they were growing and maturing, and they were getting to know Jesus better. And if, if the, he had heard that, that you know, maybe there, were, there was another influence coming in and trying to get them off track, and he would just address it head, head, head on. And so that was why Paul would write these letters. But, but last week we saw how in Corinth, um, you know, he had a wonderful um, experience by meeting two people, Aquila and Priscilla, who became such great members of his team, and how God had put them together because they both had the common um, occupation of tent making. Even though Paul was definitely an apostle to the Gentiles, he was definitely a Pharisee, he was well-trained and learned, learned um very learned, but but yet, um, because we heard last week that that scribes and rabbis needed to trade because they could not accept money for for their teaching. So, anyway, how God put them together and how they were so beneficial to Paul, and then uh, again we we see how. Um, you know, he gets, Paul gets the opposition. I mean, he gets one hit after another. He gets persecuted. In fact, last week we even heard the word abuse. And whether they were abusive to him or whether they were abusive to the name of Jesus, he was so upset. And he he just shook, shook, um, from his, what is it, he shook out his clothes in protest. Your blood be on your own heads. Your blood, your the blood that you're you're going to be doomed for all eternity, and that is that is on you, not on me. And then and then he it was so nice. The next verses he was he was told how um, we're told how he went just right next door and there was this worshiper of God named Titius Justus and how the ruler of the synagogue, Crispus, and his entire household came to know the Lord and many of the Corinthians heard and were baptized. And, and so, uh, so good to hear. And I'm sure that really uplifted him so much. 
But yeah, we're reminded that he is a human being. And sometimes, like for me, for you, I'm sure we all, even though we try to fight against it, when circumstances get so overwhelming, we get a little overcome. And then, then that's when fear or doubt or confusion or discouragement happens. And how the Lord came to Paul in a vision. And how Jesus himself said to him, don't be afraid. Don't stop speaking. You've got to keep going. I'm with you. What words for us if ever we start feeling that, that slope of downwardness and we don't feel empowered? We could go right back to Acts chapter 18 and those same words that Jesus said to Paul, he's saying to us, don't be afraid. Don't, don't stop speaking don't be silent. I'm with you. And then for, you know, a year and a half, he said, he said to Paul, you're not going to be attacked. You're not going to be harmed. And it was just kind of an, a nice time for Paul. I think many people got to know him. He got to know many. And it was just a really good time. And then all of a sudden, people who he thought were his friends, maybe. It's just a group of them united to attack Paul. I mean, that was, to me, that was such a heartbreaker. And how, you know, the Jews, the, the Greeks, it seemed like no matter, no matter what in those verses from 14 to 17, I mean, they even, they even turned, this, turned on to Sothenes, the synagogue ruler, and beat him. I mean, it, it was just a sad time. And so Paul stayed on in Corinth, believe it or not. He stayed on in there for some time, but then he left, and then he went on, and he left Aquila and Priscilla um, in Ephesus, and then he went on farther to other towns. In fact, he started his third missionary journey because he had gone back to Antioch, started his third missionary journey, and in, went into the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening the disciples. And then we were introduced to a Jew named Apollos, who was very much a learned man, thorough knowledge of the scriptures, had been instructed in the way of the Lord, spoke with great fervor, and even taught about Jesus accurately. And so you think, what's the problem? But Aquila and Priscilla, they, they could tell that, that he wasn't speaking um, the rest of the story, the salvation message. He knew about Jesus walking this earth and probably teaching many things. But so Aquila and Priscilla invited Apollos to their home and then, and then probably won him to Jesus because salvation is in the cross and in the resurrection. It's more than John's baptism of repentance. And then it seems like Paul, Apollos is just so excited about this and that he wants to tell and, and he wants to keep moving. And so he wanted to go to Achaia. And, and so I'm sure Aquila and Priscilla and all the other brothers encouraged him. And, and then they wrote to the people of Achaia, to the disciples there, and told them that, that Apollos was coming and to listen to him. And so when he arrived, he was great help. He was a great help to who? To those who by grace had believed. And those, those are words that, that it 
Converting Bibles means salvation. They believe that, that they don't deserve it. They can't do it on their own. Grace, that undeserved favor. The message of the cross and the resurrection. And it said that Paulus, he just, he so was concerned about the Jews who were just stuck in their old way. And they wouldn't believe of Jesus being the Messiah, the Savior. It said that he, he vigorously refuted the, the Jews in public debate. And he was proving not just his opinion, he was proving from Scripture that Jesus was the Christ. How God used him. And how God will use us because we are so, and even though I think in this area we feel like it's such a Christian area, but I think our eyes have been opened that, that not only are there people that, that don't know Jesus as their personal Savior and you maybe you know, have no church affiliation at all, but I think we're even seeing that people who've sat in church all their life never really developed a personal connection with Jesus. And this is what we're going to see in this chapter. In, in Acts chapter 19, while Paulus was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. So now he is going back. He's going back to Ephesus. And now he is, it says that he... He found the disciples, he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now that's quite a problem, isn't it? Now, I thought about that and I remember that I came to know Jesus as my Savior, and I understood the cross and the resurrection. But to tell you the truth, I didn't really know or understand the Holy Spirit. I don't know whether I wasn't taught or whether my ears just weren't listening. That's probably it. Because I remember we would, we would recite the Apostles' Creed, but we always said Holy Ghost. And as a little kid, I got to tell you, I just soon stay away from that because that was kind of spooky to me. And so I think I understood when, when Paul asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And, and they, when their answer was, no, we've never heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, you know, on the day of my salvation, when I was 10, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of me. And that's a promise. Ephesians 1.13, Paul writes that. And he writes that if you want to be included in Christ, you hear the gospel, you choose to believe it, and as soon as you say yes to the gospel, then you are given a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there can be a time when, yes, you are saved, but you don't understand the Holy Spirit. And I'm only speaking for myself here, but I guess I, I understand what happened here. They weren't taught. 
Because what an awakening when you realize that you have the third person of the Trinity. You've got the Spirit of God living inside of you. And we have learned, we, we've been taught by Jesus uh, that the Holy Spirit's got such a, an important work, job in our life. He's the one that really draws us to Christ. And then he's the one that keeps growing us. He's the one that takes these words from God's word and makes them come alive. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us with decisions and leading us. I mean, we've seen it with Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Silas, how, how they thought they were going to go in one direction and how, because the Holy Spirit, they were so tuned in, their spirit and the Holy Spirit were so connected that they listened and obeyed and went a whole different direction. And if they hadn't done that, we wouldn't have the story of Lydia, we wouldn't have the story of, of the Philippian jailer. I mean, that even got me thinking, if I'm not under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, if I'm just constantly wanting my way all the time, I wonder what I'm missing. I wonder who is supposed to hear the gospel or something from God's word that because I was so, so headstrong about going in my direction that I just missed it. So learning the power of the Holy Spirit is critical in our lives because he's the one that is making Jesus come alive in us but also taking us to the next step making the word of God clear so Paul asked then what baptism did you receive and they said John's baptism they replied Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance he told the people to believe in the one coming after him that is in Jesus. See, you can know about Jesus. You can know just like here. You can even know that you're a sinner. But you could tell that these people didn't take it the rest of the way. In, in John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. But then Paul said, I need you to believe in the one coming after him. That is in Jesus. You have got to develop a relationship with Jesus, a connection with your Savior. And on this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. See, in now, you know, now we, we have the full story. This was so new that they were just getting parts of it and that Paul was coming back to these towns or going to these towns to make sure that they then heard about Jesus because it's only when you accept Jesus as your personal Savior are you then given the gift of the Holy Spirit who then helps Christianity come alive in your life. The Holy Spirit is the one that takes your old nature and changes it into new nature. The Holy Spirit is the one that old things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. It's the Holy Spirit working in our lives that we can look in the mirror and see somebody different. We should be different every day. 
as we are studying God's word every day. And then we see less and less of ourselves and more of the character of Jesus through the fruit of his spirit. I just love that verse 8. I'm hearing this. Hearing what? Hearing about Jesus and the cross and the resurrection and salvation is found in none other. I'm hearing this. They were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Paul explained to them that when you come into this intimate relationship with Jesus, it's possible because of the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit then will then make it clear to you. Yes, Jesus paid it all. But it's the Holy Spirit that then takes that gospel message of Jesus and changes our hearts, which then changes everything about us. And we, you know, when, when you have God's Spirit working in you, and when you are free to step aside and let the, let the Holy Spirit take over you, the evidences, I mean, you see the difference in your actions because, I mean, we've gone over this with the fruit of the Spirit. You're, you have got fruit coming out of you, but it's either the fruit of the Spirit or it's the fruit of self. And when it's the fruit of the Spirit, it is so noticeable. I mean, when you love unconditionally, that's noticeable. Because most people are loving with, with conditions. So when you're loving even unlovable people or even those who have hurt you, that's noticeable. When you are in the middle of sadness and unhappiness and you still radiate a joy because joy isn't something, it's someone. And there isn't anything or anyone that can take the joy of Jesus away from us no matter what our circumstances. That's noticeable. So what Paul is saying and what Luke writes is that when the Holy Spirit comes alive in your life, it's noticeable. And to remember that the Holy Spirit is, we've got to understand the Holy Spirit if we really want to go into a, a sincere and true walk with the Lord. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Don't you appreciate Luke's words? I mean, how he just says that Paul just gets up there with such a boldness. I mean, and he is used to being, he, he knows what it's like to be slam blasted. Remember in Leicester, he was beaten so bad they hauled him out of the city because they thought he put him on the dead pile. I mean, this man knows what it's like to be persecuted for Jesus' sake. And so when Luke writes these words, and yet after all what Paul has been through, he enters those synagogues and he spoke 
boldly. And he did that for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. See, this is similar to last week. I think, you know, Paul, Paul doesn't get mad real quick. I mean, I think he's real bold and he's, he's real upfront. He's no nonsense. But last week we saw too, I mean, we saw him get upset, really upset with exclamation points. The blood is on your head. It's your responsibility. I'm free of it. I told you. I think they were being so abusive to Jesus. And here, when they started maligning the way, and what is the way? It's the, it's the message of Jesus, salvation message. When they started maligning the way, Paul left them. See, I think that's when he says, nope, not anymore. Not when you talk against my Savior like that. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. He just walked out of that synagogue and, and then took the ones who wanted to hear, the disciples, the followers of the way, the followers of Jesus, and said, let's just go to the school building, the lecture hall. Let's just go, let's just go there. And this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of heard heard the word of the Lord. See, Paul just—I mean, he knew just how long to stay in a place. I mean, there are times when when they wanted him to stay, and he said, "I have to move on." I mean, this is what the Holy Spirit does. He's such a—he's such a great guide. I mean, we all have questions. And the Holy Spirit, if we're, if we're willing to really put ourselves aside and if we really do want to hear from the Lord. I mean, it's kind of like what Solomon wrote and it's familiar passage, but it's really true. If you trust the Lord and his spirit with all your heart and, and you don't lean on your own understanding in all your ways, you keep going to the Lord and you keep acknowledging him and his word and what his word says and you're obedient to the word, he will direct your path. So, some of them, they were so, you know, they were just, just so obstinate and they were so... Um, they maligned the way, they refused to believe and... And so he just moves out and goes to the school building. And, and then to all those who want to learn, you know, it is so wonderful. And again, I'm not trying to compare myself to Paul by any means, but I, I get him. I understand. When you have people that want to learn, I mean, there's such, you can tell, you can tell, as sure as I'm standing here right now, let me, it is so obvious to those who really want to learn. I can tell, I can look at, at people in the Bible study, and I can tell which ones really want to learn and who are there for other reasons. Or they get easily bored. Or they tune out. 
But those who really want to learn, like Paul's, these disciples that came every day for two years, that is, that's fun teaching. That is so exciting. When you look at people and they've got their Bibles and they're, they, they, fact, they hardly look at me, they're so intently looking into their Bibles and they want to learn and they want to know. They're not looking at their watches. They don't really much care if I wore that outfit last week or not. They're not looking at anything like that. They want to learn. And Paul was willing to do it day in and day out for two years. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Now, that kind of, you know, I didn't, I didn't like that so much. I, did, I, I thought, oh dear, people are putting too much emphasis on Paul that, that he can even touch handkerchiefs and that gets a little far-fetched. But I kind of went back to how the Lord will use anything if, because this is all brand new, remember, and to get people's attention, to get people to keep wanting to um, learn, to grow. God does things. Remember in Acts 5.15 how the people just wanted to be in the shadow of Peter? But even with Jesus, remember the story in Matthew 14 where the lady knew that if she just touched the hem of his garment... Now, the one thing about Ephesus was they were, they were really into magic and sorcery and superstition. So this was not unusual that they would, you know, take to the handkerchiefs and the aprons and they were super, that they were superstitious about this. That, oh, if Paul touched it, then... I don't know, the more I thought about, I thought, you know what, God will stoop down to meet us. You know, he'll, he'll stoop down and meet us right where we're at. And even though these people were, were so caught up in their superstition, I think his mercy and, and his love for their soul just superseded. I mean, these people eventually we're going to see, and we're going to see in the chapter, that they saw that it wasn't the magic in the handkerchief or the apron. They're going to learn that. But, but for now, because they're so used to the superstition and the sorcery and the magic and all that, that's what they were used to. It's like, our God is so wonderful. It's not that he will use sin. It's not that, it's not that um, he, he likes superstition, but he also knows where we're at, and he takes us just as we are. And he'll meet us there. And because of his overwhelming mercy that supersedes it all, people then come to know who Jesus is and then they see. They see the, the lights go on and they realize how hokey that was all. But then 
we really get a picture story, don't we here? It's that some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits, exorcists, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. So some of these Jews thought if they just said the name of Jesus, then they too would be able to do that. And they would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And then Luke tells us this story about the seven sons of Sceva. Sceva was a Jewish chief priest. And his seven sons got caught up in all this. One day the evil spirit answered them. Jesus I know and I know about Paul, but who are you? So these seven sons of Sceva were going around saying, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches. And so all of a sudden they hear this demon speak. And the demon said, Jesus, I know. And I know about Paul, but who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on all seven of them, overpowered them all, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. I mean, you almost got to laugh. I mean, you know, if it wasn't so sad, because what a sight. You know, here they want to they wanna be, you know, these, you could tell self was, they were totally out of, out of whack. I mean, it was all a self thing. They wanted to be big heroes. And they thought if they said the words that Paul used, then in the name of Jesus, they would be able to do it too. Well, I'll tell you, God's not going to stand for that. And boy, he gave them a visual that they will never forget. You know, they had no right. They had no right claiming the name of Jesus because they had no personal connection with him at all. And I think that is worth thinking about. How often don't we pray in Jesus' name? Do you know that those are useless words if we don't have a personal connection with them? Sometimes I think we believe because this is what we were taught to believe or this is what my spouse believes in or... And you might be able to pray like mad and you might end within Jesus' name. Do you know that that is totally worthless unless you have a personal connection with him. A personal connection. That's why it's so, I mean, I know I, I talk this so often, but I think growing up in this area and growing up in, in, in you know, churches everywhere and experiencing what I've experienced across the country in churches and how complacent and how bored people are and the, the wrong reasons that they're going and they think just by their attendance or just by their good deeds. Or, and that's so dangerous. 
If you don't have a personal connection with the Lord Jesus, then you have no business praying in his name. You have no right. And sometimes, you know, these religious people, and they, they can pray like mad, but without a personal connection, do you know they're going to perish in hell? That's just something to think about. When this became known, and I'm sure, can you, oh boy, did it become known. I mean, a story like this, you got these seven sons of Sceva running, running out of the house, naked and bleeding, and they hear the story about how this one man overpowered all seven of them. So when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Hallelujah. Yeah, underline that because the name of our Lord Jesus must be held in high honor. We have to know who he is. We have to have that connection with him and what he has done in our lives personally. Many of those who believe now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. See, that's the beauty of when you confess and repent. Sometimes, you know, you don't want people to see your dirty laundry, and it's, that's not always necessary, but you know what? There's something cleansing about. Do you wonder why so many people, when they come to the altar... When they come to the altar, how they're just weeping. If they're coming for salvation, then the Lord has made it very clear to them how unworthy they are, but, but yet how much he loves them. So that's why he welcomes them with open arms, but they've been made aware of who they are. And it just, it just is so, it's so humbling. You can't help but weep. You, your sin is ever before you. And yet to be loved so much by someone who is willing to leave heaven and die. When you start understanding amazing grace, how sweet that sounds that saved a wretch like me. Oh, I understand this. Many who believe now came and openly confessed and they wanted to be set free. They wanted to get rid of their past. They wanted to get rid of who they are, the old, so they could become new. And they brought scroll, their sorcery scrolls, and burned them. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. I don't know about you, but I get a little curious. I want to know what that is in today's. And it didn't pinpoint it, but what I saw was it could have been between one and five million dollars. And today, so I mean, they were really dumping it. In this way, the word of the Lord spread wildly and grew in power. 
After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. Are you, are you seeing how you recognize some of these places? I know I pronounce them all wrong, but, but I think when, when you're reading this and you're going over it, you're saying, boy, it was there. It was there not that long ago. Yeah, Paul did go back to many of the same places. Just checking, just making sure that something or someone hadn't taken them off the track or tried to add other things to Jesus when salvation is through Jesus alone. He wanted to make sure they were reading their Bibles, they were studying the scriptures, because he knows that we can't possibly grow and mature without our Bibles open, without studying without really reading and studying every day, not just a verse or two, not just a little quick devotional. We need to study God's word. He wanted to make sure. After I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. About, this, about that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, also known as the goddess Diana, the sex god, brought, into, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. In other words, when, when Luke writes like this, that... It brought in no little business for the craftsmen. That meant these craftsmen were making mega dollars, mega dollars here. He called them together along with the workmen in related trades and said, Men, you know we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how these fellow, how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. See, they know that, that Paul has been influential in so many parts of the world. That people are believing that lives are being changed Remember a couple weeks ago when, when, when the Jews were in Thessalonica coming after Paul and Silas and said, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. What they're, basic, what they're basically saying is that they're influential and people are believing and their lives are changed. And, and when their lives are changed, everything changes. And our business is being changed. And we're not making the money. So they're coming up with all these excuses. Listen to this. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. There is no danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that they were concerned about the name of the goddess? Or that she would be discredited? Nah, they didn't care about that. 
I wrote in the margin of my Bible. They could come up with all that. All sounded good. All, but the bottom line was what? And that's why on the questions, I didn't even. I didn't. I could have put in the whole story, but when I asked the question, why did a riot break out in Ephesus? I put one word, and that's money. And then I looked at 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, where Paul said, Timothy, you, this is one thing that seems to get in the way so often, even in the best of Christians, they get, they get other gods. <laughs> they, get, they get off the beaten path and they start trusting material things. And that's why Paul wrote in, to Timothy and said, the, the love of money is the root of all evil. It's when it becomes a priority. When it because I know we need it and he didn't say money was the root of all evil. It's it's when your heart loves money more than Jesus. And I think that this really shows it. Look at that. Look at their actions. So they're, they're consumed about the, the fact that, you know, Paul has been saying that these little gods that these craftsmen are making that you're spending a lot of money for and they're making money hand over fist. You know what? They're worthless. Let me tell you, let me proclaim to you about the God who can change your life through, through Jesus. Verse 28. When they heard this, so, you know, they get the people all revved up. So when they heard this, they were furious. They began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. I, let, let me just describe to you this temple, this temple to the goddess Diana Artemis. It was, it was such a great Building that it was regarded in the ancient world as one of the seven wonders. 127 pillars. There are 60, each pillar was 60 feet high. Great sculptures. In fact, it was a major bank. This was new to me. It was a major bank where merchants, kings, even cities made deposits because they believed that their money would be really safe there. And you can't help but look and see what the gospel did to this financial district. The gospel can change it. I thought, oh, wouldn't it be something if the gospel took over our country's financial district? If the gospel took over financial emphasis. In the early days, you know, as along with this story a little bit, in the earlier days when the Salvation Army began, the Salvation Army, that organization was so effective that pimps and bar owners organized skeleton armory to oppose them with threats and violence. 
just think, when that great, wonderful Christian organization, Salvation Army, began, they were so effective that the people that were not profiting now, the pimps and the bar owners, because people's lives were being changed, they organized, instead of Salvation Army, they called it Skeleton Army, and they used acts of violence. In fact, there were many Salvation Army leaders at that time that, that too were murdered. Sad story. And so when they heard this, they were furious, began shouting, great is Artem Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized, seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and rushed as one man into the theater. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. I mean, you know, sometimes Paul just so wants to, to do what's right, and sometimes he probably didn't even think. And so, fortunately, people came to his rescue and said, no, no, that's, it just wouldn't be safe. We've got a riot on our hands here. We've got evil protesters. Huh, does this ring a bell? Does this ring a bell to what we have been through in the last months? And what we have seen with the evil protests and the acts of violence I'm telling you, it just, it's just like this whole story just put today right smack in my face. I'm just convinced that evil protests are going to produce evil actions. There's just no way of getting around that. You have an evil heart with evil intent then how should we expect that anything but evil will be a result? The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. I mean, it's chaos. But we all watched it too. Most of the people did not know why they were there. Didn't you hear that too on the news? That so many people that were involved in these evil protests, they didn't even know why. They didn't even know why they were doing it, why they were smashing windows, why they were looting buildings and businesses. The Jews pushed Alexander to the front. So he was kind of a recognizable figure in fact, he's mentioned in Acts 4, 6. He was, he, was, uh, he was a relative of Annas, the high priest. So he's got connections with the hierarchy there. And so they push him in front. Now you've, you've got this commotion, this riot, this evil protest going on. So they pushed Alexander to the front, and some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. 
He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they show, but the, but when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. Now, I found uh, another verse that I thought was quite interesting in First Timothy one twenty. That Alexander never never chose to change his ways. He, he liked to be in the big shot of the Jewish religion, but he never humbled himself. And in 1 Timothy 1.20, it says Paul excommunicated him. Hmm. The city clerk, verse 35, the city clerk quieted the crowd and said, men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of our image which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to be quiet and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, if they, if they have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are pro-councils. They can press charges. See, the city clerk is just trying to say, come on, we know, we know the whole world knows that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis. Oh, such a... Wouldn't you, wouldn't you just hate to think that that was, your, that was your religion? That that's who you would bow to worship? Oh, gives me the chills. So the city clerk is trying to reason with him and said, okay, then since those facts are undeniable... Don't get yourself so worked up. Just, just quiet down. Don't do anything rash. Those, those, men, those men, the men like we're talking about Paul, these men, they've neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. Then let Demetrius, let him go follow the right protocol and go to the proconsul, press charges, if there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. Nothing gets settled like this. This little city clerk, he was making some sense. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of today's events. You think you're so, you're so hard-nosed right? Hard, you're, you're, you think you're so right? Well, guess what? Not only are we not right, but we could be causing more trouble on us. Because we're going to be cited for starting a riot. 
So when he says, as it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of today's events. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. So the city clerk got, got everybody quieted down. And I thought, now that's the way chapter 19 ended. So I just went to chapter 20, and I just want to read this verse in closing. When the uproar had ended, this little city clerk did it. Alexander couldn't, but this little city clerk did it. So when the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. Now, that just really got to me because I'm so glad I went and just read that verse because what happened when, after he had said this, he just dismissed the assembly? Well, did they all leave? He might have dismissed them, but what happened? Well, they did. When the uproar ended, they did leave. But that had been quite something to go through for Paul to be a part of this riot, this this um, this commotion, this violence. And you know, I look at him, and I, there again is the power of God's spirit. Look, God's, it says Paul said for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he doesn't sound like he shook at all. When you can be, you can have all havoc all around you, to have that kind of trust and that kind of faith and that kind of assurance in God. And he said, he just sends for the disciples. And you know what he does? Instead of them worrying about or concerned about him, what is he he's concerned about? Them. He, he encourages them. And then he said goodbye and he set out for Macedonia. And we will next week hear about more of the travels and more of the experiences. But I got to tell you, I am in awe of what the Holy Spirit can do in just a mere mortal. I know I just love Paul so much. But he's a person just like you and I. And I, would, I have to say, I look to him and I think, that same powerful Holy Spirit can do that kind of work in me and in you. It can take away fear and doubt. That we can live boldly for the Lord Jesus and not get caught up with the news. And We are so secure in what God's word and what God promises and the future that is ahead for us. That we can encourage others in the middle of all this. Instead of needing encouragement, we can encourage others because we know what's true. We know what our God has promised. We know that being a believer because of the grace of Jesus, how that changed our lives. We know what that grace has done. May we live like it. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. And 
for uplifting us with the truth. And it's so easy in our human nature to, to feel that heavy weight, the despair. But to know that your word will, will give us what we need when we need it. And that we can stay strong and encouraged and we can stay assured just because of what we believe in our heart and who we believe in. Father, I just thank you for being our Father. Jesus, I just thank you for being our Savior. And Holy Spirit, I thank you for being the one who will lead and guide and show me the meaning of the word. The word that I can stand on, the word I can live by, the word I can walk in. And we move forward in Jesus' name. Thank you that I can know this because I'm connected to the cross. I'm connected to Jesus. And because of that, I can pray this in Jesus' name. His will is perfect. His name is sovereign. His name we pray. Amen.